Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth, reminding you to please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it right now. We're available on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod. I'm at DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on Twitter and Instagram. We have merch available at poppantheonpod.com and our Patreon show, Pop Pantheon All Access, where we publish at least three bonus episodes of the show per month, is available at patreon.com slash pop pantheon also my queer pop party gorgeous gorgeous has two installments coming up very soon including next friday october 27th in bushwick we're doing spooky gorgeous our halloween party and on november 10th in los angeles we will be doing our next installment at resident in downtown so hope to see you guys at gorgeous gorgeous and of course our upcoming live show pop pantheon live britney's memoir music and legacy will be happening november 2nd at the crawford in pasadena tickets for all of those things are available in the show notes of this episode. All right. So for this week's B-Side, I invited Billboard's Elias Light onto the show to talk about a subject he's been covering a lot in his columns, which is a dearth of new sustainable pop stars. The question being, where are the new pop stars. Elias has dug into why it has become increasingly difficult for major pop artists to break through, have a hit, and then build on that hit with a sustained run of singles, successful albums, and why there seems to be a lot more pop stars working today than ever, and yet very few of them have the ability to create long, sustained careers at the top. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Billboard's Elias Light. Okay, so I'm here with senior writer at Billboard, Elias Slight. Elias, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So we're here today to talk about why there's no new pop stars, or perhaps why there are less new pop stars breaking through in the current moment. You've written about this extensively in Billboard. So I guess maybe to get us into this conversation, my first question for you would be, what inspired you to want to explore this topic? There's obviously been this trend line of new artists having trouble kind of breaking through, or if they break through, they have trouble kind of gaining a solid, consistent foothold on the Billboard chart. So how did you start to notice this and what kind of inspired you to want to dig under the hood of this particular trend? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so much of my job as a reporter is just talking to people in the industry a lot, sort of doing phone calls, taking meetings, etc. And sometimes those people talk to you about things they're excited about, but more often they talk to you about things they're kind of anxious about or frustrated mm. about. And mm. over the course of 2022, really, this just started coming up again and again it's really hard to get something new to break through to the mainstream in a major way you know obviously big stars are doing fine the taylor swift and the drakes of the world are still killing it but if you have a new artist or they usually call like a developing artist in the industry it is so hard to command a large amount of attention and sustain that moment for a long period of time so once you kind of hear enough people expressing the same concern it's usually a good sign that it's something you want to kind of dig into and write about so we've written a couple pieces on the topic since then. So one question I'm wondering is you mentioned sort of Drake and Taylor Swift as continuing to have that sort of A-list traditional version of pop superstardom with lots of hits and big record sales and all of that. So it seems like there's a bit of like a generational change here, i.e. the generation of pop stars that emerged in the 
late aughts and early 2010s are still perhaps operating in this old model of like continuing to sort of be able to churn out lots of hit singles and like hit albums. When do you see this shift happening? At what point, I guess, in the last whatever amount of years did it become more difficult for these stars to break through? And are there specific changes or flashpoints or developments in music distribution or consumption that you feel like are responsible for that change or are at least part of the reason for that change? Yeah, so some of the factors people talk about have changed gradually. Like a lot of it has to do with kind of the decline of traditional mass media, right? So like, I don't know too many people under the age of 50 who listen to radio anymore, right? right. Like awards shows, like the, the VMAs just happened. They had all these pop stars there. Less than a million people watched it, right? So these... Mm music videos a lot of people in the industry aren't even making music videos anymore because it costs a lot of money and everyone's into short form so these sort of traditional formats that channeled a ton of eyes and ears onto songs and artists have largely lost a lot of their power and that's been more gradual and then at the same time like another factor is tiktok became a really big force in the industry in 2019 and 2020 the industry really shifted to try to capture that space and for a while that kind of worked okay because there were simple ways to sort of push music on TikTok that seemed effective the classic thing would be 2019 you pay a mega influencer to do a dance to your song mm. everyone sees it maybe it starts to catch fire right but as TikTok has become incredibly popular it's really like splintered into all these different spaces so maybe you watch like cat TikTok and I just watch book TikTok and a song may do well in my little niche but there's like thousands of little TikTok niches now. There's not like that main space that everyone was watching. I may never find out what song is popping in your corner mm. of TikTok because it's so big. The nicheification of culture more broadly. Kind yeah, of. people, a lot of people use the fragmentation is like the big buzzword and personalization mm. is, is a big focus, right? So mm. again, that sort of has dispersed what once might have been a, a central audience commanding like one space. And then another thing that I would say has been gradual but has increased in the last few years is just there is so much music coming out right and, mm. and again that has been along a trend happening for a long time but it definitely jumped up in the first couple of years of the pandemic i believe the amount of new songs that were appearing and that just means again you have so much choice so many different things to listen to for everyone to be choosing mm. hey we're going to listen to the same five artists or whatever it's a lot more challenging now than it used to be when you didn't have that many choices can you explain maybe just a little bit orient people that might not get this intuitively. Again, obviously this is a broad generalization, but maybe just to help situate everybody, what might have been the way that a pop superstar would sort of break through in 2000 or 2010 or maybe even like 2015? And what are the ways that like would-be or aspiring pop superstars are attempting to do that now? How has that changed? Like if you had to sort of just kind of give like generic pop star A from the pre-period and generic pop star B from the current moment, like what are the shifting hurdles or trajectories into trying to have a breakthrough as a superstar in, you know, these different time periods? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so the way I tend to think about it as I know like people think of pop as this sonic genre but it's also in the in the music industry there's sort of a system that is set up to support and create these stars right so right. historically you have someone i don't know like a whitney houston right and like right. 
Clive Davis thinks Whitney Houston is fantastic. She's a star, right? So she's going to get the full pop push, right? And that mm -hmm. means we're going to introduce her to the best writers and producers of that time who are very hard to get with, right? They've right. got busy schedules, but Whitney Houston's going to get time with them because we've decided she's the one, right? And that means you're going to get the biggest radio push to the biggest radio format. You're going to get the biggest video budgets. You're going to get the most money for other marketing, right? So like there's this process and a lot of it still had to do historically with like the labels having all this gatekeeping power like we're gonna pick mm -hmm. someone who we think has a lot of potential we're gonna push every button we possibly have for them right right and also work on development which feels like a sort of archaic term at this point but a, a label used to be a place where you would take somebody who has raw x factor or talent and sort of spend millions and millions of dollars shaping that talent with record men like davis or whatever being the svengali-ish sort of overseer of like how to create pop stars i felt like that was an important element of the pre whatever this moment era is yeah huge you know yeah it's, it's vocal lessons it's dancing lessons it's media training right, right. it's all Image that stuff development, right? yeah right. All that stuff would happen, right? And then you kind of get this massive push to a very broad audience. And I think the thing that just keeps coming up in these conversations is, I mean, development is a very interesting conversation too, whether or not labels are still interested in that. But mm. even separately from that, it's like the buttons that they had don't have the same power that they used mm. to, right? Mm. So you can take a massive risk and put a lot of investment, but at this point, no one can say, you know what, we love this person, everyone's going to listen to it because there's only 40 songs being played in rotation on the radio right. and however many right. on MTV and we have the oomph and the relationships to make yours one of those, right? That's mm -hmm. no longer the environment that we live in. And, and again, that has affected everything. It's not just pop. I just think pop historically benefited the most from the label's gatekeeping power because it was such a thing where it's like, we choose you and we're going to put everything behind you. Now, now if we choose you and we don't have much we can actually put behind you, that, that system has has eroded a bit. Is it safe to say also that the process of like, let's say a and at a record label has just changed so vastly in this environment to the point where it was like, it used to be this thing of like spotting someone that you felt like had it or whatever and sort of championing that person, as we mentioned, kind of developing that person. And now a &Ring or sort of the process by which record labels are sort of poaching new artists or attempting to sign new acts and break them through is much more about trying to find something that has heat going on already in like a sort of metric way. I mean, it seems to me that like record labels, and I think you touch on this in your piece, are much more interested in sort of like analyzing data from social media, for instance, to sort of pluck somebody out that already has something going on and sort of capitalizing on something that's already in motion, as opposed to, as we were sort of mentioning, sort of like championing or developing acts that they're sort of intuitively or like using their expertise to decide you know should be a pop star and i wonder how much that plays into the breaking of it's like on the one hand there's so much new music and there's kind of this ground up sort of development of stars or micro pop stars or whatever that's part of the reason that we can't break through in like a michael jackson sort of way in the or a taylor swift way but then there's also this sort of feeling of like the artists that they are putting their focus on maybe like aren't ready for prime time in some ways or like aren't exactly like built to maintain that level of kind of A-list superstardom because you're picking out people that are having a TikTok hit or like having a moment that they've stumbled into but aren't quite ready to sort of do the 360 degrees work or, you know, of being a Taylor Swift or of being a Michael Jackson or a Lady Gaga or whomever that is. Is that 
something that rings true to you about this too? Yeah, I mean, 100%. And this is kind of a debate that's been raging around the industry for a few years now, but sort of the primary, I would say in the last five years, the primary focus when it came to A&R is what the industry calls research, right? So they literally hired like data nerds to set up these tools that are scraping TikTok and Spotify Mm. and Instagram and YouTube to try to find things that are already moving, right? And in a way, this makes sense. Like a lot of businesses use data to inform their decisions. And suddenly, because the music business has become so digitally focused, there was all Mm. this data where there really wasn't any before, right? So they've tried to harness that. And labels are also in the business of trying to make as much money as possible. And they want to minimize risk. So the theory is, right, we find something that's already working, that'll minimize risk. But when that became a priority, it certainly deprioritized what we were talking about before this idea of development, right? And then when TikTok came along, research definitely predates that, you know, a lot of people like the SoundCloud rap era, there was a lot of like, oh, we're finding this stuff popping on SoundCloud. But when TikTok came along, it just had sort of a power and force in terms of taking somebody who you have never heard of today and making them the most popular song in the world three days from now, right? So And labels just went all in on chasing these artists. And obviously some turned out to be okay, but some of them had no sort of foundation in place. Maybe it was like the first song they ever made, right? Right, And suddenly they're getting thrown million dollar deals. Right. And then you're in a pretty tough spot because, you know, you're trying to build the plane while you're flying, right? Totally, right. I mean, I think Little Nas X is kind of an interesting example of a successful building of the plane while you're flying, but still one that feels emblematic of this era where it was like an artist that was pretty ill-formed ends up with the biggest, you know, hit of all time on like a fluke and then kind of has to spend two years like retrofitting a aesthetic sound he did it successfully eventually but it was interesting to kind of watch that happen in real time like it took him a while to sort of like land on like who am i as an artist after i've already had the biggest hit that i'll ever have in my career and it's like an interesting modern thing to watch because in the whitney houston era when whitney houston hit like whitney houston was ready with six more singles to capitalize on that success in a way and i think that was much more of like a tried and true model than the sort of scrambling sort of retrofitting of a pop star's identity and sound and aesthetic and POV and performance ability and studio ability and all of that kind of stuff has to sort of happen after the fact. And that's like a scramble that I think Little Nas X is probably the exception to in terms of trying to figure out how to make that work, whereas most artists are probably never going to actually figure out how to capitalize off of that one moment. It's like a new version of One Hit Wonderdom, which had, had almost like fallen by the wayside, I felt like for a period of time, like labels had figured out how to like not have One Hit Wonders anymore, or like at least figure out a second or third hit for somebody. But like, it feels like we've kind of stumbled backwards into that. Are there artists that you see out there right now that like in another day and age would have been having like massive multiple single run traditional pop star kind of trajectories that just are like being foiled by this system? Like are there specific artists that you sort of see as emblematically kind of being at the wrong place at the wrong time sort of that like in another time you could have seen in the more traditional label system sort of top down version of pop star and like would have been having bigger careers? And then my other question for you is this thing I've been kind of wondering about which is like does being a big pop star even need to churn on having hit songs anymore because i think that like one of the things your piece made me think about is like some of the biggest and most important pop stars today feel like giant cult phenomenons and you like you talk about this in your piece but like i bring this up a lot in the show but like i think billy eilish is like an incredible example of this to me which is like huge star massive cult following touring arenas winning grammys etc etc and yes does 
Billie Eilish have a number one hit? Of course she does. Does she have a series of other big Billboard hits? Yes. But they almost feel kind of like tangential or like not even like that critical to her pop stardom. Like I feel like if Billie Eilish's albums had no top 20 hits on them, like if Billie Eilish put out an album right now and it had no top 20 hits or whatever, I feel like she'd still be just as massively successful. Her cult fan base would still go buy the album. She'd still tour arenas. She'd still be seen as like a big force, even if like it was just playing directly to her cult of fans. So I wonder if it's just sort of like the way we clock what a breakthrough is or like what a pop star career or superstar career is based on is just different than it was before as opposed to sort of like non-existent. Yeah, I mean, that's a great argument to be made that we should recalibrate that sort of way we think about it because again, the whole idea of a star having all these hits and commanding the mainstream came about in a different world in which there was more of a mainstream, right? Even though, right, everyone talks about fragmentation and nichification, like there can be incredible, large, and most importantly, I would say sustainable careers that can be carved out in these spaces, you know? And I think the industry, unfortunately, tends to have sort of a short-sighted mindset. TikTok accentuated that to a crazy degree because it's like, if this song isn't working in the first two weeks, it's clearly not a hit. We're dead in the water, you know, because it can just accelerate things so quickly. But yeah, I think generally it is better and probably most artists ultimately, I know many artists love hits, but ultimately want to have a long sustainable career, right? Right. And like, just because you can't have a Whitney Houston career doesn't mean there aren't a lot of spaces and probably more ways than ever to have a long sustainable career. I mean, I think about Lana Del Rey too as feeling like an important sort of example of this also where it's like, she never has a hit on the Hot 100. She's never having hit singles, but it's like she consistently can sell, you know, 250,000 copies of her albums and like has 75 million monthly streamers on uh, Spotify or whatever. And it's like, you know, she's as big a pop star as they come. And yet like no one's ever going to hear her song on the radio. And it's like not about that. So I feel like in a way, almost like I wonder if there's sort of like this fragmentation even between like the type of pop star that like needs a hit record and the type of pop star that like kind of doesn't even need that anymore and like can kind of circumvent that. I mean, I even think about like Beyonce's career trajectory in some ways, I guess Renaissance notwithstanding as kind of like a moment of bifurcation in that notion of superstardom as well, because it's like here you have somebody that like very much operated in the old model for the first half of her career in the 2000s, where it was like albums and hits and searching for hits and trying to find radio hits and blah, 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 blah. And then kind of in her self-titled and like lemonade sort of visual album eras, like found a way to kind of like remove herself from the sort of rat race of hit singles and like was able to make like event statements that like satisfied her core fan base and were critically acclaimed and all of these kind of things without needing to sort of string together five number one songs from an album. And I wonder if that was like kind of a prescient mode of pop stardom that feels like it's kind of proliferating because obviously the other important factor here is like beyond that sort of top tier of even like the Lanas and the Billies and all these people are like an entire world of sustainable pop careers at like a working class level, <laughs> like Carly Ray Jepsen or Charlie XCX or Troy Savon, like these artists that are like never gonna like get above number 80 on the Hot 100, but like will be famous forever to their small cohort of fans who will fill 3,000 seat theaters and go see them. And, you know, it's almost like pop stardom is becoming like a working class profession as opposed to like such a superstar driven one in a sense. And you touch on that a little bit in your article. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Lana is such a great example. And thing that a lot of people around another buzzword around the industry these days is people talk about the artists who like are successful world builders, right? Right. Where you have 
like full buy-in. This guy is not really pop in that way, but like Zach Bryan has been so mm -hmm. successful, right? He didn't even put out a pre-album single, right? right? It ended up debuting at number one, but he had a number one hit and a number one album, but he didn't even, the old model, right? You you work that single, the sing, finally the single's doing well. You Maybe you do a second, then you bring the album, that whole thing. If you're tired of the creator would be another one. Obviously he has had hits, right? But people have so much attachment to these artists and will fully engage with whatever they put out whenever they put it out and sometimes a hit can kind of be it's a nice thing to have of course helps to make more money but if tyler doesn't have a hit for a year he's still going to have such an intense fan base lana the same way and I, and I do think that's fascinating and exciting yeah i mean that's the thing that i kind of circle back to around this topic a lot is like is this a problem because in some ways i wonder if it's really the problem stands with the music industry model like the way that these labels are set up is based on a world that doesn't exist anymore and the imperatives have just changed and the sort of metric that I mean that's what you sort of conclude I think in one of your pieces is essentially like maybe what needs to shift here is how we think about what pop success is like in your estimation like what do you think just based on what you're seeing in the way that this is all unfurling right now like what should we be thinking about pop success as that's maybe different from how we thought about it before a healthier music industry would probably be more interested in, in ideas around sustainability right mm -hmm. if you talk to like Brent Fias his manager for example, like Brent's an independent artist and like he'll talk about just the importance of getting to that point where you're able to fully make a living from your art, right? Mm. Now, the charts don't really reflect that, right? They yeah. reflect the very upper 0.1% or whatever, right? Or another artist who's been doing really well is this singer Leve, who kind of has like a jazz inflected sound and mm -hmm, has, you mm -hmm. know, she's been selling out shows all over and stuff and like she may not have that massive hit yet, but it's on its way to the type of breakthrough that we should be celebrating, you know? And right. again, the industry historically just makes so much money off the very small number of people who break mega big, right? So I think, as you said, the only real place where this is a problem is if your industry model is built around, you're going to take a hundred bets or however many bets and like two are going to become massive multi-million dollar pop stars and that's where you're going to win right if that's your model then you have to define success in a certain way that's maybe not the healthiest for the music ecosystem as a whole how good is this episode? It's good, right? Well, great news, because if you like what you're hearing here, you're going to love what we're doing over on our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, where for five bucks a month, you'll get bonus episodes of our show weekly. You heard that right? Every single week, we're dropping more of the same searing in-depth combos you love about all your most anticipated new albums by stars like Ariana Grande, Dua Lipa, and Tate McRae, just to name a few, parsing apart all the newest pop singles in our famous new music speed rounds, and of course, course, diving deep on your favorite classic albums like Madonna's Hard Candy, Christina Aguilera's Stripped, and so much more, all with your favorite pop pantheon guests. All this, plus you'll get access to our Discord channel, input on future episodes of the show, and so much more. So sign up at the icon tier now at patreon.com slash pop pantheon, or simply by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. You won't regret it. We recently did episodes of our show about Kim Petras, and I was just thinking about this whole idea that, like, Kim Petras was, I thought, kind of a great success in her niche for 
four or five years, right? Like she was a kind of beloved gay music intelligentsia fascination from like 2018 to 2021. Like again, no Billboard Hot 100 hits, but like, you know, couture was embraced by a very distinct and powerful core fan base that probably would have continued to love and adore her, especially because of, in a way, that sort of nicheness of her. Like there's something about the nicheness that actually can be, I think, an asset to stars that maybe they don't even totally recognize. Like being underrated or under-celebrated or misunderstood or not embraced by the mainstream, I think can in some ways be an asset to stars, especially when they're appealing to a specific like marginalized group of fans. I think that can be true in hip hop. I think that can be true in, it's like the modern concept of selling out. It's like a new iteration on the idea of selling out. And then when Kim Petras decided to kind of like take this sort of mainstream pop route, she signed with a big label. All of a sudden she's featured on a number one hit. It felt like in a way, the pursuit of that kind of collapsed everything that like made her interesting to her core fans in the first place. So the whole thing felt like a giant flame out in this weird way where it was like an artist that was so clearly the product of a new model of kind of, as you said, like fragmented pop success or working class pop success, I might say, attempted to kind of like retrofit her career into like an, a dinosauric model of pop stardom. And it like flamed out so hardcore. Like her album was not successful. Her major label record was not successful by those traditional metrics in any sort of way. It was critically derided and a lot of her core fans resented it and felt kind of abandoned by her and sort of like she had lost sort of like what made her appealing to people in the first place. And also the other thing about this kind of nicheification or this fragmentation is that I think it allows pop stars to make more idiosyncratic and interesting music because they're not necessarily beholden to trying to have a four quadrant hit single. So like, you know, you have artists like Lana, like Charlie, like Kim Petras, or pre-major label Kim Petras, who can kind of like make music that feels more edgy or feels more like true to their idiosyncratic impulses in a way that like, it used to be a very hard needle to thread for like a Madonna, for instance, to sort of like maintain artistic credibility at the same time as like having a hit that could be played in a grocery store. So it's this interesting sort of thing where I feel like somehow the industry and even the star themselves as emblematic like through someone like Kim Petras like haven't quite figured out how to celebrate this niche pop success and I, I see this a lot sorry not to just keep bringing her up but I think she's interesting in Charlie XCX's career as well as somebody who like is kind of like a dominant force in this like niche gay pop space but like constantly seems like she's in conflict about whether like that's enough or if she should be sort of still shooting for like a stadium Taylor Swiftian sort of pop career like so it feels like in some ways we're in this weird sort of fulcrum transitional moment where it's like the values of pop stardom like need to change for everyone for like the fans for the pop stars themselves and obviously for the record labels too like there needs to be like a complete and utter like reorganization as you were getting at of like what it means to have pop success I think there's a whole other sort of like alternative universe where Kim Petras like sort of rejected this like major label push and was kind of like no I'm going to continue to be this artist to my fans and that could have been something that was actually like ultimately like a better move for her but I feel like there's somehow like a lack of permission to do that maybe the finance is it, is it that the financial structure is not there to fully support that like what do you think is pushing somebody like a Kim Petras to attempt to kind of a try that 2010 route when it seems kind of like an a silly lark in this day and age, I guess, is what I'm wondering about. I like the use of silly lark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what 
Kim Petras may want to be a Lady right. Gaga Taylor Swift style pop right. star, right? And certainly when you sign with a major label and you sign with the major label Republic that has half a dozen at least of the biggest stars in the world, that's probably part of the push you are going to try to make, right? Right. But I think what's interesting is like, you know, again, going back to the way I think about pop as a bit of a systemic thing, not just a sound thing, right? Other genres always had to deal with this. Like if you were an R&B singer and you wanted to reach a wider audience, you had to think about what crossing over meant right that's what they used to call it and whether you were going to alienate your core fans this is something whitney houston dealt with right, right whether you're going to alienate your core fan base by trying to seek what the industry defined as like that big pop sound right rappers mm. deal with the same thing country like you know taylor swift had to very carefully navigate leaving nashville right, right. so like right. other genres have always had to deal with this tension pop's kind of been protected from it now that the landscape has really leveled out in this new environment we're in i think now people are looking at some of these pop acts and being like well you make the sound that would qualify you to be that sort of big mega superstar but you're not getting there Mm. and and people are sort of surprised by that other genres have always had to deal with navigating how do you try to maintain a core that is by definition not everybody because you have been pegged as not pop it just speaks to again yeah just a more level playing field now where i can find regional mexican music as easily mm. as i can find kim petrus on a major label you know what i mean right it's, it's way more competitive right and, and i think what you're getting at here is also another important factor in this which is that capital p pop music not just like popular music has very much receded as kind of like the sort of central organizing principle of the charts like it just feels to me like whether it was the sort of rap wave of the late 2010s into the early 2020s or country's current sort of like massive success on the billboard charts it feels like traditional capital p pop also just has less purchase in general i mean and that was kind of the other sort of confusing aspect i think in, in the kim petra story to me in a little bit it was like it feels like the act of creating crossover hits feels like a little bit of a silly pursuit at this point because the things that are kind of elevated to the top of the charts it feels like don't necessarily necessarily need to even make those kind of concessions necessarily in the way that they used to or maybe for some artists they don't I mean that's another thing that's kind of always churning in my mind about this conversation is like it seems to me that part of the sort of fallout from everything we're talking about today is that fans are incredibly invested in the feeling of an authentic relationship to artists like there's this feeling that like more than ever I think like having a like quote unquote like Max Martin style kind of like bulletproof pop hit feels like less important than it's ever been before and instead what feels important is that the fans feel like the artist is like a genuine authentic version of themselves and is not attempting to sort of fit themselves into some sort of box in order to like get more attention like I feel like that's a unappealing idea in the modern pop landscape where that used to be kind of something that like felt like de rigueur if you wanted to have success on the charts so I wonder if like part of the issue is again Again, part of like the outdated model that like artists like a Kim Petras in her attempt to enter her major label era is like missing something here is like making a supermarket hit is not even the thing that's really like going to get you that sort of top of the charts appeal. I mean, I was thinking about this a lot with current country crossovers. Like all of a sudden here we have all of these country songs that are not really making like a ton of like poppy concessions. They sound like songs that these artists would be making whether they were hits or not on the Hot 100. So I wonder if also part of it is like there isn't this kind of of like easily sort of digestible like song making format at art
artists from sort of nicher areas in the music space can kind of go like, I'm going to make a song that like takes my sound and like funnels it into this very particular sort of pop mainstream sound. It just feels like that doesn't really work anymore. And that kind of speaks to what you were saying about kind of the regional Mexican artists that have like had success on the charts or even like Bad Bunny being another, I think, great example of this. I mean, here's an artist that is like one of the biggest superstars in the world and in the United States, most importantly for this conversation, and has like barely ever sung a word in English, which like would have been unthinkable even five years ago. So there is this kind of switch of like, there isn't this centralizing like musical format idea that allows you to like have hits anymore, which is like, I think kind of exciting, but also probably part of the disorientation that a lot of these artists are sort of grappling with as they attempt to figure out how to come up with a new idea of what crossing over means, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think the challenge is like building that relationship with your audience that you talked about is really hard. <laughs> yeah, and, right. and, and it may seem easier to be like, hey, I can sign this place and we can work to try to get the Max Martin type of thing, right? Because that's what this system is built to do. And that's mm -hmm. worked in the past. And there's variables there that we can control as opposed to the other work is, I think, a little harder. And one of the reasons you saw, I'm sure, that tension for a while where there was a wave of singers just complaining about how their labels were like telling them you just have to yeah. post on TikTok, post, post, yeah. post, post, right? Oh, and the thing yeah. is like, that's kind of all, the only advice that they can give because right. you just have to sort of build this relationship somehow with a large fan base and the labels have various ways to try to digital and market your stuff and push your music, but they can't form that relationship between you and the people mm. who just really want to see what you did on your Tuesday. You know what I mean? Right. So that's like a lot of intense work. And a specific personality type, right? Very much so. A specific personality right. type and a different type of work that had to be done even five years ago. Like it's actually hard to think of like a Beyonce type thriving. Like if Beyonce was arriving in 2023, it would actually be kind of difficult to think of how someone who like kind of is walled off and like doesn't have a totally like accessible personality. It's interesting to think of like the biggest pop star of a generation 20 years ago probably would have a difficult time getting a foothold in the way that like we established pop stardom in this day and age like I, I you know it's, it's an interesting thought experiment my question is there seems to be a few counter examples where like we have had major breakouts in the traditional sense recently and I'm curious when it does work how does it beat the tide I guess in this current moment and the two people that are on my mind when I'm thinking about this are Dua Lipa who had kind of a massive run of singles over like a two-year album campaign, you know, over 2020, 2021, 2022. And then Olivia Rodrigo feels like the most obvious current example of an artist that's having a very like old school version of sort of like stratospheric success that's churning on numerous hit singles and critical acclaim and four quadrant hits that you hear in the grocery store. How have those artists like threaded the needle and like found a way to kind of like go against the grain or go against this trend? do you think? Yeah, I mean, so I sort of personally think of Dua a little separate because I sort of think of 2020-ish as sort of the moment where TikTok really starts to take over and the industry starts to kind of reorient herself. And I feel like Dua was around for a long time. That's a more old school story in my mm. mind where like mm. she got signed, you know, they put out a lot of music, they got her in the different rooms, they did the radio tours, like it took a while, but that was sort of like the old school system really working in that, you know, she became 
became like a massive star. Olivia, definitely a more modern one, but uh, I feel like if you talk to people around the industry, they're kind of like, she's a unicorn, you know? Right. Um, she had sort of a built-in audience through her TV situation, right? She connects with a major, she connects with some people she really likes working with, most prominently Dan Nigro, and then the driver's license immediately goes bananas. I'm not sure anyone expected that to do as well as it did. It was like pretty mm -hmm. incredible. And she's continued the massive moment since then. But I consider that because she came with that built in audience, it's a little bit mm. more of an unusual trajectory in my mind than a lot of what we're seeing now, you know, but right. I do think it speaks to the importance of building that audience before you have your moment, which I feel like people sometimes get scrambled in the modern landscape, they want to just have that moment. And yeah. again, then you're and then you're in that situation we talked about where you're building the plane on the fly. And I feel like, again, a couple people have pulled it off, but it's really hard to do. And what you're seeing more Zach Bryan would be another example, like it's been building for a long time. And now it's at the point where it's like, he doesn't even need a pre-release album single and it just debuts at number one. Mm -hmm. This guy, Noah Kahan, again, these aren't like capital P pop, but he was working for five, six years. He's had like a really big breakout year and now he can like sell out Fenway in Boston or whatever. Now you're really have to work hard to get those legs under you and then mm. sort of think about leveling up rather than to just thinking about how do I burn bright right now. Right. And it seems like also Olivia has this really unique combination of like old school virtuosity and like pedigree from the Disney world, not just in terms of building fans, but in terms of like developing her talent as a star and singer paired with the fact that she's been able to like very effectively weaponize kind of like Taylor Swiftian sort of intimacy and biography like in her music. Like she has kind of the sort of modern imperatives of authenticity and like realness and sort of connection with the fans paired with kind of like more traditional showbiz acumen that kind of allows her to be both like an incredibly modern pop sensation but with the sort of foundation of you know kind of old school skill I think that that's been like a unique thing I think that also could probably apply to Doja Cat in some ways to another artist that's had a lot of success recently somebody that's like very much a creature of like the internet and like forged her own incredibly zany version of like online connection with her core fan base but also is like someone who comes into it Ready to capitalize on that with a lot of sort of talent for performing on stage charisma, choreography, singing, rapping, virtuosity. It's like, you know, I think it feels like some of the stars that have managed to do this kind of have to sort of have both like a foot in the old version of what it means to be a pop star and also sort of fluency with this new sort of authenticity driven model. And like, it seems like Olivia and Doja are both artists that have been able to effectively sort of like combine those two things so that they can have the sort of authentic connection with the fans but also then be able to capitalize on that explosion and not have to sort of quote unquote build the plane as it's flying as it goes and I guess Doja is also somewhat in the duo model of like having been kicking around the industry since 2014 and you know didn't really have a breakthrough for six years so I guess maybe like to help us sort of conclude this like in this new landscape of pop stardom what do we gain as fans of popular music or fans of music, what are we like? What is good about the way that this is reorienting in terms of our musical consumption or who's getting seen, what's getting consumed? What do we gain from this new world? And what do we lose from having lots of pop superstars? Like, what do we lose from sort of not having the Michael Jackson version of pop stardom be like a normal occurrence anymore in your mind? Yeah, I mean, mostly again, I, I tend to see upside just because. In 
in general, I think it is good that the labels have less gatekeeping power. More artists can sort of forge their own paths into viable long-term careers and not necessarily dependent, again, on one very powerful guy being like, hey, you're the one and we are going to do everything to make sure you're the one, right? That's not a very scalable model, right? And it right. never was. So right. I think generally that's good. And like someone like Kim, like, I don't know if the, how the industry would have treated Kim 30 years ago, you know, but Kim can build a solid fan base now right mm -hmm. and i think that's exciting especially for like super fans who <laughs> really just want everyone to love the same thing they love i mean that's a mm -hmm. little more challenging now and sometimes like it is really cool like the idea that michael jackson would do something and that would be the thing everyone would speak about for, like mm -hmm. he moonwalked right and like mm -hmm. everyone was like oh my god this guy moonwalked and you all have <laughs> a share experience of reacting to like the fact that this superstar moonwalks so you lose a little bit of that you know but again i feel like generally the upside is you have more artists like you said able to craft more idiosyncratic careers on their own terms they may be disappointed if they can't get to be the next lady gaga taylor swift because i do think there, there are just going to be fewer of those types of artists going forward at least if the sort of conditions of the current landscape stay the same you know but generally i think the fact that more artists can probably build sustainable careers on their own terms is good for them and probably good for fans too right it's only not good for the current sort of record label arrangement it's that that's the thing that feels like it needs to adjust more than anything and maybe pop stars expectation i mean that's something that i come back to a lot is like i wonder how different certain career trajectories that i've watched of my favorite stars would be different if they sort of dispensed with this old idea or aspiration or version of what a breakthrough hit means or whatever and were able to kind of like value more what this new model is offering interesting new model that I think maybe we're all sort of adjusting to. Last question is, I had John Seabrook from The New Yorker on the show a couple of months ago, and he wrote an article about TikTok. And I, you know, it kind of blew my mind a little bit because he was sort of talking about how even this version of niche sort of pop stardom is a precursor to what may become like an even nichier version of pop stardom where it's like, there's this whole ecosystem right now of sort of TikTok pop artists who like have no aspirations of getting on a record label, have no aspirations of touring, have no aspirations of being on the radio. They literally just like make very like sustainable careers, just making music for their 150,000 TikTok fans. Fans. Is that also a future that you have considered or you think is also something like where this could be even heading like even into an even more kind of nicheified or fragmented version of pop than we even see right now? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see all the trends are going towards kind of increased notification, yeah. increased personalization. TikTok's been so successful. So a lot of pl places are trying to imitate TikTok, right? Spotify is right. now rolling out. They've been focusing on increasingly personalized playlists for years, but now they're yeah. trying to do one that like adapts with you several times throughout the day, you know, like, mm. so all those types of trends are, are only going to accentuate the fact that if I like, to listen to 120 BPM house music during my lunch hour, but you prefer drum and bass, like that's mm. what we're going to get. And mm -hmm. there's not going to be a crossover in that Venn diagram. You know what I mean? So mm. again, like, some of these things have changed very quickly. I think if you spoke to most people in the industry in 2019, they would not have predicted the extent to which TikTok has come to dominate the industry, right? So things could change again. It's such a tech, which it's the music industry is so dominated by tech platforms now, which are subject mm -hmm. to powers completely outside of the industry's control. So it's always possible that there could be another shift. But right now, it certainly seems like 
that is the path that we're on. Very interesting. It's 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 fun to watch. I mean, it's like I I can understand like why maybe like the powers that be are freaking out, but I think as like an observer, it's like pretty fun to watch the whole system reorganize and like I in my own mind, especially making a podcast that's about sort of like taxonomizing pop stardom and like how we measure one pop star's success versus another. It's something that I have to think about and it's reorganizing my own thoughts on it. So I really appreciate all your work on this and your pieces have been amazing and like I really you know, really helped me for my own thoughts and evolve my own thinking on like what it means to be a pop superstar at this moment. I think it's just, it's changing and like that's kind of fun to watch. Is there an artist that has benefited from this brave new world of, I guess, like music, pop music, pop music success, pop music breakthrough in the last couple of years that like you particularly like that you would just like to highlight or pick a song from that we could send the show out on? Is, is there an artist that you have just had a moment with where you're like, cool, this artist never would have had a hit in the pre this ecosystem that I'm excited got to have a moment? I mean, I guess for me, I would end up picking Old Town Road for Little mm. Nas X because mm. I do feel like that was was the moment for me as a writer where it became blindingly clear how powerful TikTok was. Mm. And then I spent a lot of time writing about it and sort of how all these gatekeeping functions that the industry had traditionally held on to were kind of eroding, you know? And obviously, like we said, he was able to put the plane together after the fact, which is very hard to do. So I would have to go with that one. Okay, Old Town Road, I think will definitely go down in history, not just as the longest running number one song, but obviously like a big bang moment for a lot of things in the current pop landscape. All right, so let's go out on Old Town Road by our boy Little Nas X. Eliza Light, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah.